A new year brings a new book of scripture to the forefront of our minds. Over the next 53 weeks, walk with us on the dusty roads of millennia past as we, like those living amongst him during his ministry, seek to learn from and follow the prophesied Messiah, deliverer of God's people. Jesus Christ lives, and not just on pages of scripture. Jesus Christ loves, and not just those who leave their fishing boats to follow him. Jesus Christ delivers, and not just the leprous and blind of ancient days. Let this be the standard for a new year of dedicated study, prayer, and worship. Jesus Christ lives, loves, and delivers. For me, for you, forever. Welcome to Come Follow Up. This year, I'm looking forward to learning in the New Testament about the individuals and their interactions with the Savior. I am really looking forward to um, the ministry of Christ. I'm looking forward to feeling connected to Him by learning about His personal day-to-day -day life. I'm excited to learn about the disciples and how they helped Jesus. I think that I am most looking forward to learning about the women of the New Testament. Um, I don't know that I've ever focused on the stories of the women of the scriptures before, and I feel like this is a great opportunity to really get some insight from their lives. One thing I love in the New Testament is seeing uh, the characters, uh, the development of individuals, and more often than not, I see myself in those characters, uh, some of their attributes, some of their uh, weaknesses, some of their shortcomings, some of their strengths, and, uh, and then how they interacted with uh, our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I'm your host. And joining us today as our gospel scholar is Scott Esplin. Scott is the Dean of Religious Education at Brigham Young University. He is a former seminary and institute teacher, and he and his wife, Janice, are the parents of four children. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Ben. I'm glad to be here. And our special guest today is Matt Groh. Matt is the Managing Director of the Church History Department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He received his PhD in American history from the University of Notre Dame, and he and his wife, Alyssa, have four children. Matt, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. It'll be great to have this discussion with you and Scott and kick off the year of New Testament. We're really looking forward to it. And to you viewers at home, thank you for joining us. Throughout this discussion, we'll ask several questions for you to consider. Join the conversation with us on any of our social media platforms. And for anyone who may need study and teaching resources, we've added a link online to download our teaching resource kit, which includes clips from the show, scriptures, quotes, graphics, and original illustrations. Visit byutv.org forward slash come follow up for more. Today, we're going to be starting off our study of the New Testament by going to the first section of the Come Follow Me resource that's titled, We Are Responsible for Our Own Learning. And we're excited to have our guest and our scholar to explore uh, this section. Now, the specific topics we're gonna look at today are, I am responsible for my own learning. And the second topic is, I need to know the truth for myself. Uh, Matt, do you wanna give us just some initial thoughts on the importance of our first topic of learning for ourselves? I think the really interesting things about the New Testament is we have to immerse ourselves a little bit in that world in order to understand what the scriptures are trying to say to us. I think one of the principles is that the Lord speaks to us in our own language and in our own understanding. So he spoke to them in their own language and their own understanding, which is so different from our own. So we've got to study a little bit of that world in order to understand what it means to us. 
Oh, thank you. Scott? We uh, obviously can't uh, remain entirely on, on borrowed light. I think uh, as, as youth, as children, we, we uh, learn from others. We learn from our parents. We learn from maybe for a convert to the church, learn from yeah. the missionaries. But eventually, one has to take responsibility for his or her own learning. And, and that includes uh, uh, paying a price to come and understand uh, the scriptures, uh, the principles the Lord has uh, preserved in those, in those texts. And that includes understanding the storyline, uh, the, the characters involved, the, uh, the, the context, the events. For whatever reason, the Lord has chosen to preserve gospel truth uh, within the context of a story. Okay. And I don't know if there's something about the story element that, that he knows is impactful in our learning, but yeah. uh, I, I know many of us, I, I resonate with a good story. And, and the scriptures contain powerful instances when God interacted with his children. And, and so if he interacted with Adam in that way, or Eve in that way, or, or with Peter in the New Testament, or with Nephi in the Book of Mormon, or Joseph Smith, or Emma Smith, or others in the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, he'll interact with me in similar ways. And then as we come to know the doctrine and apply it in our lives, um, we gain a personal witness of that truth as we, as we live those principles. So as we, as we go into study, Come Follow Me, um, there's been a great emphasis on uh, gospel learning within the home. And I'd like to just go to the audience first. What has your experience been with Come Follow Me within the walls of your own home? Jennifer. One difference that I have noticed is when I go to church, well, or when, I, when I've gone to church in the past, I always paid attention and I felt like sometimes I was blessed with a little pearl of knowledge that I would take home and I would think about it, you know, in the week to come. And one difference for me now is the feeling that I'm not just gonna go and hope I receive something, that it's up to me to prepare myself for that and that I need to be thinking about it throughout the week before I go to church. And then when I get there, the chances that I will be touched are even greater. And it's almost as if it provides a way to, to string all these little pearls together. So they're not something I leave at home, but something that I can take with me wherever I go and that ties, ties my life together from week to week. In what ways has your preparation at home changed the atmosphere of your home or just in general your week leading up to Sunday? I think it helps me to realize how the gospel is that thread that runs through everything I do and is a part of all the other places in my life and all the other things we do in my home, not something separate or something different that's for certain times or, or just on Sunday. Matt, how do you feel that the, uh, the shift in home-centered gospel learning can have an impact on families and essentially on the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? I think that, that the shift is, is, is really a profound shift as we look at our history. This move to put more responsibility on us, mm -hmm. right, as learners, and then hopefully taking that uh, forward and, and a little bit less responsibility on the Sunday school teacher or the three-hour block or these sorts of things. And I hope I'm not that atypical and that there's been lots of fits and starts, <laughs> right? <laughs> there's been a lot of starting and repenting, a lot of eye-rolling, and a lot of uh, we, we miss these weeks, but let's get back to, you know, and it, it does make a difference. I'd love to hear from you, Scott, how important is it that we really embrace this idea of home-centered gospel learning? I think, uh, obviously, the, as we look at recent world events, uh, Come Follow Me and home-centered, church-supported gospel learning, as, as we were instructed, uh, I think it was uh, prophetic or inspired. It, it, we were prepared 
with the materials we needed and the mindset we needed when for a season uh, we weren't able to gather together in person in church. Uh, I, I know in, in my little family, I, I loved watching my children step up. Uh, I, I've learned things from them that, uh, uh, that have been profound. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our little family, we would, during the pandemic and the inabilities to meet as, as a ward, they would give little talks in our own little in our in our own little home, or now with "Come Follow Me," um, our children are a variety of ages from 15 to eight, and and they take turns uh, preparing a lesson, and 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 they'll give us little assignments. My daughter will assign me to read a chapter, and then when we come together to talk, she'll ask a series of questions. Dad, what did you learn? And and she'll lead the discussion. And those those things never occurred <laughs> pre "Come Follow Me," and I I, I think. Our children are being better prepared. Our youth are being better prepared as President Nelson has counseled. These are the youth of the Lord's youth battalion and and they need to be prepared. And and I think Come Follow Me is helping them step up to the plate for that. You know, I love how you you shared the experience of your family with your kids and and how they've kind of helped in this process. As we all know, families um, look very different. Um, Every family is at different stages in life. And we had a question coming from one of our viewers that I'd like to really discuss when it comes specifically to uh, learning the gospel in our homes. Hi, my name is Peter. I was born and raised in New Zealand, but now I live in Brisbane, Australia. The Come Follow Me curriculum provides a good foundation for gospel study. How can I cater the lessons to the individual needs of my family members? It's a really good question. What are some ways that you've had to cater some of the Come Follow Me lessons uh, to fit some of the specific needs of your individual families? Monica. Yeah, I have three teenagers at home, but I I also have a five-year-old and she's very active and she's very loud and she likes to be taught in simple lessons. So I was, it was interesting that you guys mentioned that the Lord shared stories to accommodate the people so everybody understands in the same way in a, in a story matter. So she loves to hear like simple stories. So instead of just talking about the gospel and teaching the lesson, I will just take a little story part of it and do it in a high voice and more <laughs> animated so she can learn and, and see and she loved it. How do you feel that catering the, the lessons to your five-year-old impacts the, your teenagers? I think they, it's like a nice break for them. I, I hope that is for the most part. And I think that it makes that lesson more animated and less boring. Okay, that's, that's a great thought. What other thoughts do we have from the audience on catering the lessons to fit your individual family needs? Ethan. Um, so right now it's just me and my wife. Uh, but we currently have a calling as gospel doctrine teachers or Sunday school teachers. Uh, and before this calling, I didn't even really like to go to second hour or, or, <laughs> or even really go to church besides sacrament. Uh, but what I found that's helped not only me, but you know us together is to focus those lessons and focus on what we've been learning um, with Christ as the focus, like Christ as the center of it. And that's helped me to have a greater desire for coming to church and for being active in my learning. So I guess I was kind of forced to be responsible for my own <laughs> learning, but it's, it's been helpful for me to, to have that extra, um, that extra service that I have to give. 
You know, I really appreciate your, your honesty. Ethan, thank you for, for sharing that. <laughs> um, how would you respond to, uh, you know, we have two different examples. You know, we have uh, kids ranging from five to the teenager. We have a young married couple, maybe not as, you know, enthused or <laughs> excited about it. How do we begin this process of, of really engaging and, and learning for ourselves in our home? Well, I mean, I think most fundamentally, probably for most of us is just to do it. Just to do it, experiment, try to figure out what works, try to figure out what works for yourself and for those in your household. And be, be open, like, like this couple is talking about, be open to the Spirit to, to guide you in, in how to cater. But I mean, for, for me and my family, I think the most important thing is just, just to do it, right? Mm -hmm. And then to figure things out with the influence of the Spirit as, as you go along. All right, thank you. Scott? I think we can also be patient with our imperfections. Okay. Uh, I, I'm like, like them, I'm not perfect at Come Follow Me and our family has its moments and there's times when it fails miserably and uh, there's other times when it goes well. And I, I think realizing that, that it's a process, it takes time, uh, we're not gonna be perfect, but we can keep trying. Allowing those difficult times or frustrations to learn from them and move forward instead of just giving yeah. up and, and, and stop doing it altogether. And maybe, you know, in footnotes, uh, we can talk a little bit more, some, some specific steps uh, that yeah. can help us in that process. Thank you both for your comments and audience. Thank you for sharing your experiences as we talked about our first topic for today, I am responsible for my own learning. And for those watching at home, what have you learned so far from this discussion? How has the Holy Ghost taught you today? If you'd like to join our discussion, go to Facebook or Instagram and share your experiences on the first topic, I am responsible for my own learning. My process for learning something new is repetition. For me, learning something new must incorporate actually just using it. Uh, I can hear something multiple times, but until I try it out and kind of put it into practice, I never really grasp it the same way. I think we learn when we, um, when, we, when we do, when we apply. And so as I think about using the New Testament as an example, as I apply the doctrine, as I live the doctrine, is when I come to know that it's true. So on to our next topic. I need to know the truth for myself. So this is a really interesting uh, discussion because it's very similar to the first topic of we're responsible for our own, our own learning. Within that learning, there is this quest for truth that in today's world, it can be really kind of tricky to figure that out. So what are some of the challenges as we're seeking to learn for ourselves? Why is it so important that we seek after truth? I think we're inundated with information in a way that no other generation has been. There's just so much information that just flows at people today, that, that bombards us. To be able to discern what in all of that is important, mm -hmm. what in all of that is true, is 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 really key, and it's it's kind of like a, a lifelong process, I think, to be able to gain those skills, and and be able to, to to separate out the good and the true. Scott, what are your thoughts? I think Matt makes a good point. There's a, certainly a hierarchy of truth. There are certain truths that are eternal truths that that are, are much more important than, than facts, yeah. information. We are bombarded in an information age with, yeah. with so much knowledge and, and much of it is good, but, but uh, separating out, discerning what are the, what we might call eternal truths, capital T truths, yeah. things that uh, are of salvific value. Okay. Uh, learning to discern and prioritize would, would be important. I, you think of President Oaks and his teachings on you know, good, better, best, and learning to prioritize. There are some things that are good, some that are better, and, 
And certainly we ought to spend our time looking for that which is best. Okay, so what are your thoughts on really discovering truth? Where does that come from and how do we know how to acquire that truth? I think obviously the Holy Ghost helping us to discern truth. Okay. Uh, part of that may come in having experiences with um, recognizing the Spirit. The more uh, able I am to experience and recognize the Holy Ghost, um, I, I eventually learn to attune myself to the ways He speaks to me. And uh, and so I, I think that the Holy Ghost will testify of truth. Uh, scriptures teach that that's one of His roles. But I need to learn to put myself in situations where I can where I can more readily recognize those promptings as they come, and then learn to recognize them when they come. Um, the ways in which which uh, truth is identified and testified to me. Yeah, I love what Scott's saying about really getting to know ourselves and how how we learn truth through through the Spirit. And and I really believe that God expects us to use all the resources at our disposal. Okay. To arrive at truth, right? So. We know from the scriptures, we we learn truth by study and also by faith. We know that it comes to our hearts and, and, and to our minds. I think that God expects us to study out of good books, the scriptures, mm -hmm. to learn that context of the New Testament. Sometimes it will be useful to use a different translation of the scriptures. Uh, sometimes it will be different. Sometimes it will make a difference to read what someone else has written on uh, on that topic to give us context or different perspective. Of course, none of that replaces engaging with the scriptural text itself, right? So if all we're doing is going to other resources, then we've missed the boat, okay. right? But if we start with the scriptures and then also go to other resources, I think that, that can be really helpful. I'm reminded of the prophet Joseph Smith. So Joseph Smith is uh, quite uneducated, right? Certainly by our standards, right. has almost no education, and yet, uh, as he gathers around him this community of farmers and people who work primarily with their hands, uh, who have little education, he brings in a professor of Hebrew into their community at Kirtland because he wants to learn this, the language of the scriptures, right? And, and, and so here we have this great example of, of, of Joseph Smith saying, we're going to learn not only by direct engagement with the scriptural text, not only by the spirit, but we're also going to look to people who can teach us, to experts, to people who have studied that time and place. And so it's, I think it's, I think it's um, using all those resources. I think uh, Matt brings up a good point. Sometimes we set limitations on, on the Lord and the ways in which he might answer us. Uh, we, yeah. we assume he'll only answer a certain way or we want an answer in a certain time. I, I think the scriptures are clear. God promises he'll answer us, but he sets the conditions of those answers. He determines when the answer will come, what the answer is, and how the answer will come. And, uh, and so being open to multiple sources, being open to multiple forms of revelation, being open to the Lord and his timing uh, allows him to testify to truth in our lives. And thank you for sharing that. So I'd love to hear from the audience on some of your experiences in trying to know truth for yourself. Monica. So knowing truth for myself is, has been a journey for me. I was born in South America, in Peru, where the struggles and limitations are great. And my children have been born here in Utah, so they don't understand really the struggles of a third world country to just, you know, get the basic needs. Um, having that said, I struggle a lot understanding the gospel in entirety with the perspective of Joseph Smith's vision because I couldn't relate to Joseph Smith. 
to me, this gospel was something that was in America, in the North America, and it didn't relate to me completely, other than the Book of Mormon stories where the Lamanites and the Nephites were in place. So I wasn't until I immigrated to this country about 20 years ago where I decided to go to Palmyra, to Joseph Smith's house, and find out for myself, um, of, of course, after reading the Book of Mormon and praying. And after I went to his house and prayed there, I felt the Spirit. And I feel like I understood the truth because I had to read first the Book of Mormon, understand it, and then after getting the basic knowledge, then the truth was confirmed to me. I love how you, you mentioned how the truth was confirmed to you. Um, can you go and explain that a little bit more? How did you, how was that truth confirmed to you? Where do you think it came from? If the Holy Ghost, as I was mentioned before by the scholars, um, it's a powerful being and it's real. And I felt when I entered the house, because I had to, I'm a very touchy person, so I had to touch the house and enter it. And when I entered the house, it was like, it was almost as I was replaying the vision or when Moroni came to Joseph Smith and he told him the truth in his house, in his humble house. So, Monica, thank you for sharing that. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on some of the things that Monica was saying about her, her quest or her journey to discover truth? One of the things that came to my mind is that um, most of us will have experiences in our lives, right, where God uh, gives us revelation, right, confirms truth to us, where we feel the Spirit. And it's so easy over time for those experiences to fade, right? And so, so crucial to be able to record those experiences so that when we get to the time where maybe that experience feels more faded, Maybe the revelation feels more distant. Maybe truth, maybe God doesn't feel like he's getting through to us. I think it's so powerful that when we have those experiences, to record them, to capture them. You know, we all know the, the power with which Joseph Smith spoke about uh, his experience. Because we can read it. We've got the record of it. And we should have records of our own experiences. Because otherwise they fade. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that relates to where we are in, in the New Testament study this year. I, I'm eternally grateful that the, those who were eyewitnesses, those who knew the stories, wrote them down. We have the life of the Savior because people wrote down those sacred yeah. experiences they had. I, I've always loved this verse in, in uh, the end of the Gospel of John, where he gives the purpose for why he wrote. Uh, in, in John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, he wrote, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Uh, I'm grateful for the written record because it, yeah. it, uh, it helps me believe. And, and that doesn't have to be just scriptural records. It can be my own personal experiences, like you said, Matt, with the Holy Ghost. Um, they help me in times when my faith does waver uh, yeah. to remember that I believe. And, uh, and they, they help me uh, find life through his name. Yeah. And I, and I love that idea of recording that sacred history, sacred history of our own lives. Or, you know, I work in the church history department. When, and when we write history about the church, we're not so interested in the secular history or the economic history. That, that all, that's all part of the context. 
but it's about the sacred history, right? Which is, which is what the writers of the New Testament tried to record, yeah. right? They're interested in what will bring people to Christ. Relating back to, to, to the experience that, that, that you had at, at Palmyra, um, to be able to record those experiences in our, in our own life so we have that sacred past to draw on for ourselves. Now, I feel like with this age of information that is so easily accessible, that we find ourselves and a lot of people asking questions or questioning certain things, certain doctrines uh, of the gospel. What are your thoughts on the idea of, of asking questions? Are there positives? Are there negatives? Uh, the New Testament, which we'll be studying uh, this year, uh, has some profound experiences where people have great spiritual experiences, but then ask questions. We'll talk about uh, Mary and, and, and some of the questions she expresses when she learns she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. And, and so I, I think there's plenty of scriptural examples of people, be it in our own history or, or in, in ancient scriptural history, um, that it's okay to ask questions. Uh, it, it's questions that, lead, that led to the restoration. And so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a question. We, we need to approach them in a certain way and in the, with the right attitude and with the right motives. And we might look at that as we compare, you know, the ways that individuals in the New Testament ask questions with what motives they approach mm -hmm. those questions, with what intent. But I don't think there's anything wrong, certainly with asking questions. Yeah, I think maybe a key principle is patience, <laughs> right? And, and we live in a culture in which patience is difficult. Right? And Google gives us the answer. Immediately. Immediately. Right? We expect to be able to find the information we want immediately. We want our questions to be wrapped up immediately. Right? And that's just, it's just not the way God works, I don't think. It's okay to live with ambiguity, too. Yeah. You know, there's, there's times when uh, I may have a question and, I, and I, I refuse to let my questions hold hostage the things I do know. Uh, there, there are certain questions that I may have to just put on a shelf for a while. Mm -hmm. and, and say, you know, I'm going to move forward. I, I, this much I do know. I, I know this. Uh, you know, I, I think of Nephi. I, I don't know the meaning of all things, but I know that God loves his children. Right. And th there's times when I don't understand everything. That doesn't mean I give up on the question. Mm -hmm. But I also don't, don't uh, I, I refuse to let the things I don't know hold hostage what I do know. And I think I, that's just so important. I mean, it's, it's not a defeat to say, <laughs> I can't get an answer right now. I haven't yeah. figured that out. Oh, maybe I'll think about that later. Right? Or maybe my knowledge will get there at some point. Mm -hmm. that, that's not a defeat, right? And, that's, and really, it's an opportunity to exercise faith. Yeah. To continue moving forward even when we don't know the answers. Right. And, and, and we, I think we just always have to remember when we're talking about spiritual things, faith will always be a part of mm -hmm. it. Right? I mean, God could have resolved everything by, by leaving the gold plates with us and we could have examined them scientifically and said, yes, they, this is a Nephite language. There was a civilization. But that's not how God works, right? God allows space for belief, but he's not going to compel belief, right? He's going to allow us that space to have to explore, to have to take those steps to, as the scriptures say, we see through a veil darkly. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to exercise that faith in the spiritual realm. I believe Help thou mine unbelief. We're always going to have that mix of belief and yet we're lacking that perfect knowledge. You know, maybe in, uh, in footnotes, we can yeah. kind of have a, a greater discussion uh, in more detail about some guiding principles when it comes to asking questions. But man, thank you both for what you've shared. And audience, thank you so much. As we've talked about our second topic, I need to know the truth for myself. And for those at home, we are just getting started. Next up is Footnotes, our deeper dive with just Scott Esplin and Matt Groh into the scriptures, the context, the history, and more.
I really loved that we discussed that you're responsible for your own learning because I've always been like, I go to church and the speakers t teach me, you know, but it's actually my, my responsibility to learn for myself. It's my responsibility to hear what they're saying, but feel the spirit and, you know, become closer to God. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to sharing the rest of our discussion with Scott and Matt. Let's get started. All right, guys. So we've had some really, really good discussions so far, and I'd like to jump back in and maybe cover some things that we missed, some things that we may have teased earlier. Um, but I want to start off with a New Testament year, mm -hmm. and that we're talking about, you know, how to you know, study and, and learn for ourselves. What are the most important things that I need to know as I go into study the New Testament this year? Well, one thing that I would mention is um, I think it's important to look at the New Testament as a whole and to think for a minute about how it's structured. Okay. Right? So no one sat down and wrote the New Testament. Right. It's, it's, we don't have an editor of the New Testament like we have an editor of the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. Right? The Book of Mormon has a coherence to it because Mormon yeah. pulled it all together. Right, we had an editor. We had we had a kind of a clear plan and a clear structure and a clear scope. Uh, the New Testament uh, isn't like that in 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 the exact same sort of way. There's no sort of editor who's pulling it all together into uh, into a coherent narrative. Prophetic editorship. Yeah, prophetic in, in, in editor. Case, yeah. Right. So what we have is the early Christian church has a number of sacred texts, right, and uh, that by the late 300s are accepted, 27 of those books are accepted as the New Testament that we know it today. But of course, at one point, there were other sacred okay. texts that are lost to us. There were other epistles that were written that we no longer have the, mm -hmm. that would be included if, if we still had them, but they're just lost. There are other books that uh, early Christians thought, oh, those probably aren't as authentic or we've got questions about them, so we're gonna put them aside. Are you talking about like the, the Apocrypha? The Apocrypha okay. and other things. The group of Christian fathers and scholars uh, brought the New Testament together at, at, at a particular point uh, in history. And they began the structure by putting these four accounts of the life of Christ. Okay. Which are really remarkable, right? Because if you think about the rest of scriptures, we don't have uh, four accounts of any other sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So the first three of those are, we call the synoptic gospels because they correspond much more closely to each other. Mm -hmm. And then we have the gospel of John. And, and so the first part of the structure is the life of Christ, right? And then we're gonna move on from the life of Christ into the book of Acts, which is gonna continue a historical narrative uh, through the, the lives of the apostles. And then there's kind of a break. We're gonna move from books that have a historical narrative structure to letters. And so then we have the epistles. And first of all, we're going to encounter the epistles attributed to Paul. Okay. There's 14 of them. Then I think there's seven epistles. There's four other authors of those epistles, or apostles, or mm -hmm. other early church leaders. And then we have the book of Revelation, which is sort of a, a, a thing unto itself. But to kind of understand that, that, that structure, that first of all, yeah. we're going to get the history, that the life of Christ in the early New Testament church, then we're gonna get letters that are a snapshot of a moment in time, okay. right? A concern that a church leader has mm -hmm. uh, in a moment in time and the church leader is going to teach. 
so an individual to, or a congregation. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I might have to go back in time and say, okay, this letter was written when this was taking place historically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To, to these people, to this person, okay. to yeah. this city, to these saints in this particular location yeah. by this author. Oh, yeah. The, the New Testament is not very linear, right? We have the life of Christ, the life of Christ, the life of Christ, the life of Christ, and a little bit more history and then kind of epistles scattered throughout that aren't clearly in a chronological mm -hmm. order, right? That, that, that we're going to have to do a little bit of digging into, okay, how they fit into the story. Okay. I think even for the Gospels, uh, keeping in mind who the uh, attributed authors have as their intended audience and, and what their themes are. And, and Matthew's writing to a different, very different group than mm -hmm. Mark is or than Luke is yeah. or than John is. And they, they've got different themes in mind and different purposes. And they, they may be drawing on each other. It's possible that Matthew and Luke have access to Mark. And so there's, yeah. there's reasons why they overlap or they re, why they repeat themselves. Okay. Uh, so I, none of these are, are really a, the, the, the gospels are not a biography of Jesus. We have, if, if you were to add up the number of days that are captured in the Savior's mortal ministry, it's, it's very, very small. Okay. Um, these are not biographies. These are testimonies. And I, that, that's what the JST changes yeah. that to, to a couple of these. The testimony of Matthew about Jesus Christ and the testimony of John about Jesus mm. Christ. And, and, uh, and so keeping in mind, these are testimonies, in two cases, apostolic testimonies and, uh, and their perspectives on who Jesus was with a specific audience in mind and certain goals and themes that they want to address. Okay, this is great. This is getting me excited to, to study this year. Now, you know, other things we could talk about if you want. I, sure. I think uh, in addition to the organization of the, of the New Testament yeah. uh, and, and, and the types of books and genres, and, and, and Matt did a great job with that. Frankly, the, the Old Testament's very similar. There's, yeah. there's mm -hmm. genre-specific books there too. Right. There's books that are the law and books that are histories and books that are poetic books and yeah. prophetic books. Mm -hmm. And there's similar genres there. Um, but uh, other things that are helpful in understanding the New Testament, uh, we've talked before, we've talked about the geopolitical context, uh, religious groups of Jesus's day. Here's who the Pharisees and, and their worldview, and, and they were an incredibly popular group in their day. And, and, and how did that influence when the Savior interacts with, with them? Or, and, and, and who are the Sadducees? And, and what is their control and influence as a wealthy priestly class with the temple? What's the Sanhedrin? Uh, as, a, as a ruling legislative, judicial, executive body. Now we're talking professions. Who are the scribes? Okay. Um, doctors of the law. Um, who, what's a publican? And that's gonna show up when we get to Matthew. And so some of these terms, places, uh, keeping in mind where Galilee is in relation to Jerusalem with Samaria in the middle. We haven't talked much about geography, but oh, yeah. uh, I, I was lucky enough with my family to, to live and, and teach for a year mm. at BYU's Jerusalem Center. Wow. One of our colleagues there, one of the families that was there, posed this question when we first got to the country. Um, they said, uh, why do you think the Lord or our Father in Heaven chose this place as the place where they wanted uh, his son to be born, to have his mortal life? And why why this, the place? Mm. And I... What, what, what is it about this geography? What is it about this climate? What is it about this land yeah. that, that helped bear testimony of him, that helped uh, him accomplish his mortal ministry? And so understanding some of just the, the geography, the climate, the topography, uh, understanding what it means to go up to Jerusalem and down to Jericho when you study the, the story of the Good Samaritan mm -hmm. or, or as you follow the Savior's journeys or yeah. you go down to you know, the River Jordan where the Savior uh, would have been baptized by John. Um, understanding geography and topography and realizing how much of this occurs in such a relatively small space. Uh, it's really not that far to go from Galilee to Jerusalem. And, and, uh, and so just those kinds of things for me make the text come alive. 
I think there is really something powerful about place. Mm -hmm. um, earlier, we had a story about uh, a confirming spiritual experience occurring at Palmyra, mm -hmm. right? And, and I have the opportunity to work with the historic sites of the church, and there's something special about these places, right? There's something um, spiritual about the places where heaven has touched the mm -hmm. earth, right? Where God has interacted. And I, and, and I don't think we actually have to walk those places, I mean, that's great if we can, right? Right, But, but uh, you know, we know that most members of the church will never have access to our historic sites in terms of being there. Mm -hmm. So we've tried to do things like virtual tours right. and provide them in other ways. But I think even pictures and film can take us to those places <laughs> and help us feel a sense of that place. I mean, seeing the Sea of Galilee, yeah. seeing a, sea, a storm on the Sea of Galilee, you don't have to experience that storm and you know, fill, the, fill the water on your face yourself uh, because very few of us will have yeah. you know, the, the, the chance to do that. But there's other ways to experience the power of place. And I think places do testify. Well, and I think even our own Latter-day Saint versions of Scripture have that with, you know, yeah. modern pictures of, yeah. mm -hmm. of the places and, and uh, historically accurate maps. And yeah. so the Bible resources themselves, the, the, the topical guide, the Bible dictionary, the maps, the, all of those things, I think, are remarkable resources that can help get to this better understanding the text by knowing context. You know, there's a reason why, you know, we're, as Latter-day Saints, we're encouraged to have images of temples in our home yeah. because you can feel the spirit and the power of a place yeah. by, by seeing an image. Uh, I never really thought about it in, in those terms of, of how important, like that, what a brilliant question. Why did it have to happen right here right. at this time? And it really can add to our overall uh, knowledge and study of New Testament. Your point's a good one. I, I love how you worded that. N not just here, but why this time? Mm -hmm. Why did it happen when the Romans were in control? Why did it happen in, in the meridian of time? Why, why here then? Why mm -hmm. not 500 years earlier, 500 years later? What was it about that moment in time, uh, religiously, politically, yeah. geographically? Yeah. Uh, why there then? And, and that helps me understand the New Testament. Can we talk a little bit about the question that Joseph Smith asked and what led to his inquiry? Joseph Smith, over time, gave some different accounts of what led him to the grove. And one of the accounts I really love is his earliest account, which he wrote in 1832. And in that account, he talks about how he'd really spent some years pondering about God, looking at the, the, the glories of nature, thinking about the natural world, thinking about the spiritual world. He talks about doing this when he's 12 and 13 wow. and 14, right? So, so some years he's, he's immersed in this pondering. So sometimes we think Joseph has a question, goes to the grove. But really he's thinking and pondering about this question uh, for some years. And I think fundamentally the, the question he takes to the grove is, am I right with God, hmm. right? What about my, what about my salvation? talks about really being concerned about the state of his own soul and, and his own path in life. Well, I think that's where, as, as Matt said so well, we're most familiar with the account that's in Joseph Smith history mm -hmm. in our Pearl of Great Price. That's the 1838 account. And it, it emphasizes more the, the question about what church should I join? Yeah, right. but, but as Matt said, it really is a question of, of what is my standing with the Lord and how can I be forgiven? And he understands that the church as a vehicle to that, as a means to that getting right with God. 
And then, of course, the 1838 account is written in the context of now a church has been organized and we're responding to some of those questions about the place of our church in relationship to others. But I, I'm, I'm like Matt, I, I love that first account where he's, it's a, a vulnerable Joseph, a, a Joseph who's conflicted by his sins and wants forgiveness and wants to be right with God. And, and he knows that from his understanding that a church is needed for that, but it's, it's really a personal search. And that yeah. I think models in some ways, in ways we can uh, approach questions. It, it'll take time, it'll take yeah. years, and it, it, inquires, it requires searching and, it, and hopefully it's personal for us. It's not just a, an intellectual curiosity. It's, it's relevant for Joseph. This is a personal matter about his own salvation. And, and we know that Joseph is engaging with the scriptures. Right? I mean, of course, we have the famous passage in James 1.5. I'm guessing that's not the only scripture he read. Right? right? So, so, so he's engaging with the scripture. You get the sense that he's, he's, he's going to churches. He's listening. He's thinking about religious things. So he's doing all of these things as well as kind of his own introspection. Uh, and all of that then leads him, leads him to the grove. He's talking to people. He's talking to yeah. the preacher both before and after. He's talking to his mother after. Yeah. He's clearly seeking, searching knowledge, looking for multiple sources, which we talked about earlier, uh, the value of looking for reliable sources, Joseph's yeah. figuring out what those are, yeah. and, and, and keeping in mind, of course, he's also a young boy. I mean, I yeah. think we, we read that story and we think of Joseph the prophet yeah. later in life. This is a 14-year-old. So what did he learn through this process? What can we learn from, from the things that he discovered uh, in his own personal journey to find truth and learn for himself? Well, I, I like that phrase, I, I learned for myself. Mm -hmm. I, I think there's a principle there. Uh, I, I think ultimately uh, we can't rely forever on other people's uh, borrowed light. Mm -hmm. There's a value in believing on the words of others. I, I see great value in that, that spiritual gift as outlined in, in section 46 of the Doctrine and Covenants. But uh, Joseph also comes to learn for himself. And I, I think that's a, a valuable principle. At some point, I need to step out of the darkness and learn for myself. And Joseph, you know, studies the scriptures, ponders, asks. Uh, he, he goes to a place where he can be alone. One of the accounts talks about him going to the place where he and his father, he'd been clearing trees the day before, uh, left his axe, all those things. It's something he's thought about. It's something he's prepared for. He studied for, for a period of time. Wow. And, uh, and he goes where he can be in an environment to learn for himself. Now, there are uh, a lot of guiding principles. And as teachers, you guys know that no matter how well we teach somebody, there is yeah. a lot of responsibility. Joseph Smith talked about the role that the learner plays in the learning process. Can we go and talk about a little bit of yeah, what I, he I, discovered? I like this one. Uh, so in, in, uh, in Kirtland, uh, you know, the church uh, moves from New York uh, to Ohio in uh, early 1831. And there's a number of different spiritual manifestations that are occurring. And, and so this question comes up, how do I recognize uh, if, if, if revelation is from the Lord or not. And, and in section 50 of the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord outlines um, some principles of gospel learning. What I love about this section is that he doesn't place it squarely on the teacher. Uh, the teacher has a role. And I, maybe I like this section because more often than not, I occupy the role of the teacher. And I, I love the fact that it's not just on me. Uh, but uh, in section 50, uh, in verse 17, halfway through that verse, the Lord says, asking the question of teachers, doth he preach it by the spirit of truth or some other way? And if it be by some other way, it is not of God. And again, he that receiveth the word of truth, does he receive it by the spirit of truth or some other way? If it be some other way, it is not of God. The receiver has a responsibility in this process. And, and I think in, in gospel learning, whether that's in, in gospel doctrine, in, in come follow me or in our own homes, um, it's not just on the dad and the mom. It's mm -hmm. not just on the gospel doctrine teacher. 
uh, the receiver has responsibility. And, and there's been plenty of times when I've gone to a class and expected to learn some other way than what the Lord has intended. I, I haven't read the lesson before. I haven't thought about how it applies to me. I just sit there and passively expect to be fed. And, and in the Doctrine of Covenants, the Lord puts the responsibility on both participant and teacher with the promise in verse 22, when both do their roles, they will understand one another and both, be, both will be edified and rejoice together. When both um, fulfill their responsibilities in gospel learning, it's a remarkable experience. Mm -hmm. That's why what I love getting out of my office and going into a classroom is when verse 22 occurs. You know, we're, we're starting a new year. We get, we're studying the New Testament. How can I become a, a better learner? What can I do to increase my, my study or increase my search for truth? Fundamentally, the most important thing anyone can do in Come Follow Me is engage with the scriptures. I mean, that, that's what the whole program is about. Mm -hmm individuals engaging with the scriptures, you know? And then beyond that, it would be to pull in other uh, resources to learn about the context or learn to read the words of modern apostles and prophets about those, those, those scriptures. But it should all start fundamentally with the text. So keeping the scriptures the, the main source right. of your study. Okay, I like that. I might, I might add to that, uh, keeping uh, the Lord and his gospel the main focus on yeah. that study in the scriptures. Sometimes my focus on history takes me away from a, a focus on him about whom the, the history mm -hmm. testifies. There's a place for understanding context and yeah. it helps me, but, but I think all of those should serve as a means to the end. And if that end is coming to know him who is my savior and, mm -hmm. and how he feels about me and, and what he wants me to do, as opposed to you know, a factual answer to a question that might show up on the test. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking uh, about this, this question lately. In, in the church history department, we're nearing the end of the Joseph Smith papers. And this has been a monumental 25 year project at, at the end of it, we'll publish about 20,000 pages on Joseph Smith, things he wrote, things he said, things that were written to him. And, and I've, I've kind of pondered lately, um, what would Joseph want us to take from all of this? And fundamentally, I think it would be this, right? I mean, fundamentally, he would say, boil it all down to my testimony of the Savior. Mm -hmm. If you're gonna read one thing, read what I said about Jesus Christ. Right, either his own testimony or, or the passages in the Book of Mormon that he translated about Jesus Christ. When we're dealing with spiritual things, it's gotta boil down to that. As we study, make sure we don't veer off too far and lose sight of what really yeah. we're seeking is to develop that relationship of the Savior um, in our path to discover truth and knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I, keeping focused on him, being patient with ourselves, okay. being patient with the learning process, uh, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes work. Uh, right. I, I don't think spiritual things are learned easily. I would add as well that, uh, of course, like I said, uh, we, we start with the text, but then I think it is useful mm -hmm. to understand that text better by understanding the context understanding the culture, understanding the geography, all of those sorts of things that help us understand uh, what Christ was saying. I mean, Christ's parables were intended for us, but they were intended for their primary listeners, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, who were, who were, who were the people uh, living in a very different uh, culture and time and place than suburbia, uh, United States, which is what I know, Yeah. right? Uh, I've seen farms. 
but but I haven't worked in agriculture, right. you know. So, but you look at Christ's parables, and they are about a different world than the one I occupy. Okay. Right. So if I want to understand those, I've got to understand that world. So right. you do? Do you have a way of determining what sources we could trust as uh, reliable and truthful? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think I think it's one that takes some time and okay. some practice. I think I would start with the um, "Come Follow Me," and sometimes there's supplemental resources okay. in there that that have appeared in, in in church publications or things like that. And you and, have the church's stamp of approval. Right. This is a reliable source. And there's a lot of vetting that mm-hmm. that goes into those, both from kind of an intellectual standpoint and from a spiritual standpoint. Okay. That's a great place to start. Uh, but of course, there's other resources outside mm-hmm. of things that the church has published that are very useful. Right. I think before we mentioned um, sometimes. Other uh, translations of the Bible mm-hmm. can be very uh, useful. And of course, we use the King James Version. But all the way back to Joseph Smith, uh, we've looked at other versions of the Bible for insight as well. I mean, Joseph, Joseph himself did that. Uh, or when James E. Talmadge wrote Jesus the Christ, right? Interacting with the New Testament world. He drew on scholarship okay. written by non-Latter-day Saints, yeah. right? By people who understood the Near Eastern culture. Uh, People who understand languages and yeah. geography mm-hmm. better than I might. Right. So, uh, you know, in evaluating a, a source like a, a, an article or a book or things like that, you, you, can, you can get a sense of, um, is this, is this uh, serious? Is it, um, does it seem to be based on scholarship? Mm-hmm. Does it seem to be based on people who understand what they're talking about? And of course, uh, we're going to approach all of those kind of outside uh, resources with an understanding that uh, scholars don't often agree with each other, <laughs> right? So everything about the Bible, everything about the New Testament there's a lot of scholarly debate about it. Okay. And so we don't need to be masters of any of that scholarly debate to get what we need to out of the Old Testament, but engaging with that scholarship can at times be useful, but we should understand that that on 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 much of the New Testament questions there's going to be a lot of uh, debate out there. So we're going to find differing opinions and kind of have to work our way through some of it. Okay. You know, I, I like to read footnotes. I, I, I've, I find people that I trust, okay. uh, people whose scholarship I trust. And then I look to see who do they cite? Who are they reading? Who, and that helps broaden okay. my, my reach a little bit. Yeah. I, um, BYU has a number of really helpful sources in, in, in its variety of publications that I find reputable yeah. scholars that I trust, and then I look to see who do they cite, who are they, who right. are they leaning upon, who do they rely upon, and, and that helps me broaden in, in some ways. Um, as a historian, you've probably studied so much and have seen lots of different aspects of, of church history, of just history in general. Um, what have you done to, to just stay so true to your charge, to stay focused on Jesus Christ? Well, for me, um, for me, the study of church history has been tremendously faith affirming. Okay. You know, the vast amount of material um, in church history speaks of the devotion of Latter-day Saints, of the, of the times they felt the, the, the divine, of the times they felt the Spirit uh, speaking to them, of the way that they lived their lives amid sometimes tremendous challenges. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, there's just so much faith-affirming uh, elements to our history. Right, so sometimes we speak about church history as if it's something to be feared, yeah. right? Like if we get into church history, we're going to come across weird stuff and it's going to throw us off. 
and I'm not saying there's there's not um, things that are unfamiliar or controversial or things that we wish wouldn't have happened in in, right. in church history, right? Uh, I don't think we need to pretend like there aren't some difficult questions uh, out there, but we should also not forget that history is a tremendous source of spiritual strength, right? Keeping that eternal perspective in mind, knowing that life has always been full of challenges, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone who we study about in church history, as there's lots of challenges and there's lots of mistakes, and, and God allows us th that space to, to make mistakes, right? And to to um, go off in different directions at, at, at times. But if we, if we keep that eternal perspective, um, I think we'll be able to see what God has tried to do with people in the past and what he's trying to do with us. I, uh, I think Matt has hinted on this earlier, but it's also important to recognize that, that it's for those who do have questions, it's okay. And yeah, that, that if, if they are struggling or have a question or a doubt or a concern, yeah. it's okay mm -hmm. and give them space for that. I think of a, a quote from President Joseph F. Smith where he said uh, once, there are those who see in every moment of this church from its beginning until now, the overruling almighty hand of God. Um, I, I believe faith is a gift. I, I think it's, the scriptures teach it as such. It's something that I should pray for. Pray with all the energy of heart to be filled with charity. Um, pray with all the energy of heart to be blessed, blessed with faith. I think faith is a, is a spiritual gift. And so as I, as I ask questions and as I seek, um, I think it's helpful also to remember, you know, Heavenly Father, please help me have faith. Help me believe. I, I believe it's a gift. And there are those who see in every moment of this church from its beginning until now, the overruling almighty hand of God. And I want to be one of those and I want to help others be those who see. Yeah, and I think that's where that perspective just is, is so important because uh, if, if we choose, we could look at every moment of church history as just fundamentally human. Right, and, and and lots of people take that tactic, right? But if we're willing to give space for faith, and to give space for for God and for the divine and for God's intervention uh, in history and in our lives, I think we'll find that too. We'll see it. Well, thank you both for sharing with us your thoughts, your insights, and for for inviting the spirit into this discussion. I think it's this is a great way to to jumpstart our study of the New Testament. And thank you for joining us for this discussion. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. Additional teaching, study, and shareable material and discussion is available on social media, podcasts, YouTube, and through our website at byutv.org forward slash come follow up. Join us next week as we cover Matthew chapter one and Luke chapter one, where we'll explore the challenges and blessings of accepting God's will and timing. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.